taken from 2 Timothy um, chapter 3, verses 10 to 17, which is on page 1196 of the Blue Church Bibles. So 2 Timothy 3, 10 to 17, on page 1196. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learnt and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learnt it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is God's word. Thank you, Sarah. Please do, as ever, keep... Um, That passage open, that'll be really helpful for you um, as we continue to make our way through um, this wonderful letter. Um, Let's pray together um, and then we'll begin. Father, we've just read that the words we're looking at now come from your breath. They are part of your holy words. And so we dare to pray, Father, this evening that you would use your word to teach and rebuke and correct and train us in righteousness. All for the glory of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. The main point of this evening's passage is right in the middle, verse 14. I always find it helpful just to be pointed to the main point straight away. Verse 14, here it is. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. That's Paul's aim for Timothy. But as for you, continue. Remember, Timothy is Paul's ministry apprentice, if you like. He's been on a number of missionary journeys with Paul in the past. He's co-authored a number of the New Testament's letters And now he's leading a church in a place called Ephesus in the first century. Paul is in prison. He knows that he's about to die. And so he pens this letter, the last words of his in the Bible, chronologically speaking, to make sure that his ministry apprentice keeps going. Do you remember the the overall aim of the letter back in chapter 1, verse 8? So do not be ashamed of the testimony of about our Lord's, or of me, his prisoner, rather join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. 
Paul is calling Timothy, keep going, even with the threats of suffering. But if you think back to last week, then you'll remember that the external threat of suffering isn't the only issue that Timothy has to face in Ephesus. See, not only does he have to deal with terror from the outside, he's also got error on the insides. The religious fraudsters, do you remember them? The religious fraudsters, people who look like Christians at times, they might act like Christians, but in reality, people who are not. Do you remember how Paul described them? Boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, treacherous, rash, conceited, things that all come about because of their misplaced love. Lovers of themselves, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God's. And the warning last week was that these people are within the religious establishment of the day. And not only that, but they are teaching. They have their own ministry. I said last week that um, if we look at the whole of chapter 3 as a whole, then what Paul seems to be doing is holding out to Timothy two patterns of ministry. And if the first half of the chapter contains one pattern of ministry the pattern of ministry to avoid, then in our verses tonight, Paul is holding out a second pattern. The pattern of ministry to continue in. And it is very different, isn't it? Verse 10, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance. Very different to the religious fraud, says Paul. And he says, continue, Timothy. But as for you, continue in what you have learnt and have become convinced of. Continue in the gospel that Paul taught you. And more than that, continue in the pattern of gospel ministry that Paul taught you. His teaching and his way of life, notice. And we might think, easy. After all, who would want to be like the religious fraudsters when you can be like the Apostle Paul? Easy. But you know, and I know, that following the number 10 comes the number 11. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance. Sounds good, but verse 11, persecutions, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured. These religious fraudsters that we thought about last week, well, they were not going through any suffering. That's why they deny the power of the gospel. In contrast, Paul, well, his model of ministry is one that includes lots of suffering. He takes us back, he illustrates this for us. Three places he he went to on his first missionary journey, Antioch in Acts chapter 13, where we're told that the Jews contradicted what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. We're told in that chapter that God-fearing women and leading men of the city were encouraged by the Jewish leaders, by the religious, to stir up persecution. And so Paul and Barnabas, 
kicked out. He takes us back to Iconium, the place where Paul and Barnabas go next, and things become a bit more serious in Iconium. Gentiles and Jews plotted together to ill-treat and stone them. And so Paul and Barnabas hear about these plots, and they fled to the city of Lystra. Safety? No. Jews and Gentiles, Gentiles from Anconium, Antioch and Iconium follow them down the road. And with the help of others, they stoned Paul, dragged him out the city, and left him for dead in the gutter. And Paul says to Timothy, you know about these things. Maybe on one of their trips together, Paul sat Timothy down and said, this is what happened to me in the past. Perhaps even as they went back to these same places together. This is what happened last time, Timothy, just so you're aware. This is where we're going, where I got stoned and left out on the pavement for dead. There's also the chance that Timothy remembers these things firsthand. You see, Timothy was a Lystra boy. And maybe he was there that day. Perhaps standing on the pavement as they dragged the beaten and bruised apostle past in front of his very eyes. Yes, the Lord rescued Paul from all of these sufferings. But Paul says, this is what ministry can be like. Paul's pattern of ministry in verse 10 and 11, one of self-denial, one of service, one of sacrifice, one of suffering. The pattern of ministry of the Lord Jesus himself. Self-denial, service, sacrifice, suffering. And yet notice verse 12. It's not just the apostle Paul, is it? Suffering isn't unique to him. In fact, everyone, verse 12, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Quite a challenging little verse, isn't it? Not that all Christians will be persecuted all of the time. Not that we're to deliberately go around and just wind people up in order to face persecution. But it is clear, if you want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, if your life has been so radically been transformed by the message of Jesus, that you're seeking to live with him as your king, and if part of that transformation means you, you so desperately want to tell others that they need Jesus, well, you're going to face a hard time at some point. It might be from friends at school. It might be from family. It might be from colleagues. If you want to be godly and safe, that's not normally going to work. And I wonder, as we teach the gospel, are we teaching this point? As we spend time in the Word with our own children, are we warning them? Are we preparing them, saying, do you know what? It's going to be tough to be a Christian. Or are they going to be surprised by that fact when they go to school? If you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, are you aware Becoming a Christian, it's not going to be easy. To live by and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ in these last days will make you unpopular at times, persecuted at others. I was reading a story this week. A chap in Australia who was refused a job, not because of things that he had said, 
but because of things that the church he went to had proclaimed years ago. If you've gone to the church website, listen to a sermon. Controversial topic, yes, but he didn't get a job because of the church he went to. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and imposters, the religious fraudsters from last week, will go from bad to worse, deceiving and also being deceived themselves. But as for you, Timothy, continue. Continue in what you have learnt and have become convinced of. And so if for a moment we just zoom out and, and see the whole, the chapter as a whole, then do you see the two patterns that Paul is holding out to Timothy? The, the pattern of the religious fraudsters and the pattern of the Apostle Paul. And Paul is saying to Timothy, avoid their pattern. Avoid partnering with them. Continue in my pattern. Do you see that? You have followed me in the past, Timothy. So now continue. It's not just a message for Timothy back then, it's a message for church leaders today, it's a message for church congregations now. It's so striking that many of the church leaders in this country who who want to change the gospel, want to twist God's word, they think of themselves as the ones who are making progress. But you see, the church and the world don't need church leaders who make progress don't need church leaders who are drifters and swervers and innovators. We don't need to be progressives. No, the church and the world need remainers. People who continue. Continue in Paul's gospel and in Paul's pattern of gospel ministry. Of course, it's difficult though, isn't it? It's difficult to swim against the tide. It's difficult and dangerous to run upwards the down escalator. Have you ever done that? I have. I remember once I was younger, it was my sister's birthday party. I thought I'd impress all of her friends. And so I went up, I tripped up at the top, I cut my lip open, and I just slid all the way back down on the escalator. Dangerous. Dangerous for church leaders. Got to go against the tide. What's going to help church leaders to do this? What's going to help Timothy to continue? Well, two encouragements in the rest of our verses. And the first is that he has received the real gospel. Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. You have the real gospel. Let's pick it up at verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. Now, when Paul talks about those whom Timothy has learned from, he could be talking about a whole load of people. He could be talking about his family, his grandmother Eunice, his mother Lois. Do you remember them? Chapter 1, they got a mention. He could be talking about a whole load of other people who have been instrumental in Timothy's upbringing. But I take it that the context of the letter and particularly the context of the verses we're in tonight means that Paul is supremely talking about himself. Back in chapter 1, Paul said this, What you heard from me, 
keep as the pattern of sound teaching. And in our verses tonight, it's clear, isn't it? Paul has been talking about himself, my teaching, my way of life, my purpose. The things that happened to me, the persecutions I endured. But why should Timothy keep going? Because he knows Paul. I think the answer is that Paul is an apostle of Christ Jesus. Paul's made that very clear on a couple of occasions throughout this letter. Paul is the one who has been appointed by the Lord Jesus, the one with apostolic authority, the one who's been entrusted with the message of the gospel. You see, the the message that Timothy has heard from Paul, well, it's not just an amalgamation of Paul's own thoughts. It is the real thing. Passed to him that he's now passed on. And not only has this gospel come from the apostle, it is also the gospel that comes from the Old Testament. Verse 14, but as for ye, continuing what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you've learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, there's a couple of things that we could say from from verse 15. And we could, for example, talk about the privilege that Timothy has had. He's had that greatest privilege. Growing up in a household where the Scriptures have been opened with him since birth. If you've had that privilege, a number of us put our hands up earlier. Our parents told us the gospel. Be thankful. What a privilege. If we've got children at home... Are we making the most of enabling them to have that privilege, opening up the scriptures with them? As well as talking about privilege, we could also talk about purpose and how the purpose of the Old Testament is to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, it's not that as we look through every single verse in the Old Testament that we'll just sort of spot Jesus poking out like you might find in a game in a book of Where's Wally. But the whole point of the Old Testament, the whole point together, is that it points us to having faith in Christ. That's why when we're in the Old Testament, whether it be in a sermon or or a Bible study, whatever it is, we want to get through to Jesus. If we don't get through to Jesus, well, we've fallen short of the purpose of the Old Testament. Privilege and purpose. And yet, I think those points are slightly um, offered a tangent, because the main point that Paul is making to Timothy is that the gospel that has been passed on to him by Paul is not a different gospel to the one that he's been reading about in the Old Testament. It's the same message. Paul's message is in harmony with the Old Testament scriptures. They're the same thing. What Paul is is doing in these verses is giving Timothy two grounds for believing that he has received the real gospel. Double authentication. It comes from both the apostles and the scriptures. They're teaching the same thing. And so therefore, Timothy, you have the real gospel. 
The real gospel, remember, that saves people. The real gospel that is all about the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. The real gospel that is about the one who has destroyed death and brought light and life to immortality. Sorry, I got those words wrong, didn't I? And has brought life and immortality to light. The real gospel that enables people to obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus and eternal glory. The future is massive in 2 Timothy. It's all over the place. There's no hiding that it's going to be tough for Timothy. There's, there's no hiding that it's going to be tough for church leaders today, but boy, is it worth it. And so don't budge, Timothy. Don't swerve. Don't divert. Don't twist. Don't change. Continue. Continue in that message and continue in the pattern of that message. Suffering now, yes. Glory later. You have the real gospel. And not only does he have the real gospel, he also has everything he needs. Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. You have all you need. Verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, these are some of the, the most famous verses in the Bible on the nature of scripture. Um, notice scripture's origin. All scripture is God-breathed. Now, that's not to say that God took the human authors and dictated every single word to them, but that as God revealed himself, he worked in what man wrote down in such a way that each word had its origin in God. And this is important for us because it means that our, our attitude to what the Bible says is our attitude to what God says and is therefore our attitude to God himself. You see, if someone tells you something by their word, then what you do with their word reveals what you think of the person. Our attitude to God's word is our attitude to God. And notice that it's not just some of the Bible, but all of the Bible. We're not to cherry-pick the parts that we like and ignore the parts that we don't like. Notice also the usefulness of Scripture, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. It's worth asking, as we look at the Scriptures, as we come on a Sunday and on a Thursday night, are we ready for this? Both the positive, teaching and training, but also the negative, rebuking and correcting. Are we ready for both belief and behavior to be challenged and corrected when we come to what the living God says? Plenty more that could be said on that. Um, if you want to think more about the nature of Scripture, then 
Um, this book would be really helpful for you, Taking God at His Words. Um, go and grab a copy of that, um, or take this copy um, and read through it. For the sake of time, I want to move on to the final verse of our reading, because it seems to me that Paul's focus is on the sufficiency of Scripture. Verse 16 again, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that, verse 17, the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That phrase, the servant of God, doesn't immediately mean every single Christian believer. All Christians are servants of God, true. But this phrase has particular uses throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, it's used to describe people like Moses and Elijah and Elisha and David. In the New Testament, it comes up at the end of 1 Timothy, where Paul describes Timothy as a man of God. And so you see, Paul is talking about a specific group of people. He's talking about the leaders of God's people and how they are thoroughly equipped for every good work. When we go to work, we might have all sorts of tools in our toolbox. Timothy just needs one, a Bible. It's all he needs. Paul says that if Timothy, and by extension those involved in ministry, if they have this book, then they are thoroughly equipped. You have all you need. Are you seeking to share the gospel with a non-Christian? This is all you need. Are you seeking to pastor someone struggling with guilt, questions of assurance? This is what you need. Are you seeking to get alongside someone who is suffering and, and grieving? This is what you need. The Bible is sufficient for ministry. But the question is, do we believe that? Do we believe that this book fully equips? Or do we think we need this plus other things? You might have to run with this illustration, but I wonder whether we sometimes think about ministry like the way we think about constructing flat-pack furniture. You know, you, you buy the cabinet, and it says on the outside, you only need one tool, and it is inside, and it is the Allen key. You and I both know that that Allen key is rubbish. And as soon as you've twisted a couple of, what are they called, screws maybe? Um, as, soon, as soon as you've twisted a couple of screws in, well, it, it's worn away so much that it is useless. When Paul says the Bible is sufficient, he really does mean it. Not just sufficient for a short amount of time, not just sufficient for certain situations, but sufficient for ministry, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so therefore, will we back and support church leaders who seek to rely on the scriptures for ministry? Will we ourselves be excited and eager to look at the scriptures, knowing that as we do that, we are encouraging the church leader to rely on what they've been given? We're not excited 
then the church leader might think, well, I'm going to go to something else. If we're excited, the church leader will keep going. And the church leader needs to keep going because if the church leader walks away from the Bible, if the church leader turns their back on the Bible, they're turning on away from the one thing that will make them useful and they're turning away from the one thing that we all need. So as we head to a close, Paul says to Timothy, you have the real gospel. It comes from the apostles and from the scriptures. You have all you need And so, therefore, continue. Remember, that's the big point. Under all of the pressure that you're facing, under all of the pressure, terror from the outside, error from the inside, under all the pressure you're facing to change the pattern of ministry that you're following, continue. Continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of. No doubt that it'll become increasingly difficult for church leaders to remain faithful to the gospel. There's no doubt that church leaders will increasingly face the temptation to swerve and divert, especially as other churches do so. And so therefore, let's be a church that are praying that our church leaders wouldn't do this, but that they would continue. And Lord willing, as they do so, let's be a church that are thankful and full of encouragement for those who continue. True, pray? Our Father in heaven, we want to praise you so much for this letter. Thank you that these words that the Apostle Paul wrote down come from you. And so we pray, our dear Heavenly Father, that we would be a church that is molded by them and shaped by them. That we would be a church and a people who are faithful to the gospel. Keeping in mind the wonderful promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Thank you for our elders and our oversight team, and we pray that you would help them to continue in the truth of the gospel, help them to continue in this pattern of ministry, that we as a church might continue to be built up. For Jesus' glory and our good, we pray. Amen. Well, as we respond to what we've just heard, um, our prayer is that the same God who sustained both